Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today, we're going to get back to uh, Luke. Uh, We're into Luke 14 today, and... um If you get your Bibles, you can go there. Just before we open that passage up though, I will tell you about a man called Randy Elkhorn. That's a good American name, isn't it? Randy Elkhorn. Randy Elkhorn is a solid gospel guy uh, who makes a really um, passionate, strong stand against abortion for the life of the unborn children uh, in their mother's womb. Uh, Randy's so passionate about this uh, in a sense that he's put himself out there to really you know, passionately call for, for mothers to reconsider their decision. A couple of times he's actually been to prison for his desperate pleadings of sanctity of life, just really passionate about seeing unborn children saved in their mother's womb. One day, though, a pro-abortion group came to his church to protest about what he was doing. They actually come and set up picket lines around his church and they were saying, hey, it's all about the rights of mothers to do with their bodies how they please and what they like. It certainly had the makings of a very difficult situation in that sense. You know, all of a sudden these protesters turn up. Uh, what's going to happen when that takes place? Well, Randy didn't go out there and shout them down like Aaron is trying to do that for us at the moment. <laughs> he didn't call the police either. Here's what Randy did. With humble kindness, he did something really amazing for all these protesters. He brewed up hot coffee and cooked them hot dogs and took them all out hot coffee and hot dogs on this cold winter's day as they were protesting against his church. Pretty amazing. Humble kindness there in the face of opposition. He went out there and just showed them love. You know, could have been perceived as the enemies, but Randy didn't see it that way. He went out there and showed them gospel humility and kindness. And we're going to see that today as Jesus confronts here as a worthy uh, self-righteous religious Pharisees here in Luke 14. So if you've got your Bibles now, please go with me to uh, verse 1 of uh, Luke 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen to well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honoured in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had had invited him, 
When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this great opportunity to come today on this uh, warm day inside here, Lord, but also to be warmed by your word. If we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, this uh, word would become as a fire within us to uh, call us to humility, to call us to kindness, to call us to push back against pride and self-righteous criticism. Please, Lord, open our hearts up to see that today as we look at this passage. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you might be thinking there, aren't they sort of three disconnected things that we just sort of went through? If you actually follow the, the line of chapter 14, it's all one sitting there with Jesus in Luke 14. There's actually goes on again to another parable as well, which is uh, the wedding feast. Uh, sorry, the, um, the, the, the great banquet that the other, other guy has. And it's all linked together in the, one, in the one passage. So no, they're not disconnected. They're actually all lined up together here as Luke has recorded them for us. What's Luke doing? Uh, Luke is writing an account here of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's giving us a growing picture of God. Uh, and the picture here that we're seeing of Jesus, who is God, God in the flesh, is a revelation of God's grace. Uh, firstly, to expose our sinfulness and brokenness. That's how the gospel works in our hearts first. It exposes us and we bring us to be honest with who we are and what we've done. But the revelation of God's grace also uh, is to restore us through, tra- uh, through salvation and transformation. Exposes our brokenness, but also exposes us again and brings us to restoration through salvation and transformation. That is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't leave us The grace of God doesn't leave us like a broken record stuck in that same groove, just living life in that area of dysfunction. Now, grace redeems us and grace renovates us and changes us from the inside out. One of the things that Jesus has to expose uh, was the pride here of self-righteous religious people, particularly the Pharisees. Uh, They were probably the masters of of religion and self-righteousness and What entailed that with those guys was pride as well because of their uh, self-righteous stance and their religious ways of doing things. Uh, Jesus came to redeem self-righteous pride and to turn it into something else if they were willing to turn. Here's our big idea today that's going to shape where we're going and it's this. Uh, The gospel of grace transforms us to walk in humility and show kindness towards all people. The gospel of grace transforms us to walk in humility and show kindness towards all people. Okay, here's the scene that we have. Uh, Jesus has been invited to a meal at a Pharisee's or religious ruler's home. Now, that's a great aspect we see of Jesus. He was willing to go anywhere and be anything to anybody. He had a chance to uh, actually open up who God is. So Jesus is showing there, hey, let's do that. If someone asks us to home, let's go and let's do that. A few things to notice here about the scene that he's been asked to come and have this meal here, particularly in verse 1. Uh, we see there it's on a Sabbath. You might think, what does that mean? Well, that's really important, actually. Uh, the Sabbath here is the Old Testament day of rest that God had instituted for God's people to rest. Now, the idea of rest is a really good idea for us. We aren't superhuman where we can just work seven days a week and keep going, going, going. We need a day of rest. God knows that. That teaches us that we are finite beings. 
The only trouble, though, is the definition of rest, the definition of rest that the religious authorities of the day gave to it went way beyond what God had designed it to be. They defined rest with a whole other series of laws and regulations around this Sabbath day. And what this actually created was like a legal gridlock. There were so many things you had to do, or you couldn't do, sorry, on a Sabbath. They actually had to measure a Sabbath day's journey. How far you could walk on the Sabbath day, and if you walked any further than that length of journey, you actually broke the Sabbath. They just put a whole range of laws and rules around that. And it seems like Jesus was very happy to expose their crushing definition of what the Sabbath rest was. He did many things on the Sabbath that they would forbid. Jesus was there to actually expose that. Secondly, notice what Luke says here about the Pharisees in verse 1. He says there, they were watching him very carefully. These aren't incidental details. They're actually there to help us understand what's happening here in this passage. In other words, they weren't watching him carefully to model themselves after Jesus. It wasn't that at all. They were watching him carefully, critically, critically. They wanted to criticise every detail of Jesus' life, seeking to expose him as a fraud. That's what they were trying to do as they watched him carefully. They are trying to take him down, pull him out. And they were cleverly devising all types of situations where they could perhaps entrap Jesus in, put him into an impossible position that no matter which way he went here, he would do it wrong. And then they say, gotcha. That's what they did. Just kind of keep setting him up. And we even see this very thing right here. Uh, There's a man there with dropsy or edema suddenly appears at the meal. Now you're all probably asking, what's dropsy? Who knows what dropsy is? One two good well, let me tell you something about dropsy dropsy is the um, retention of bodily fluids that causes large swelling particularly in the body cavities like stomach and places like that it can actually just swell up crazy like and it can be fatal it can be fatal it's, it's pretty uh, pretty awful place to be anyway here's this guy with dropsy and as i was reading this week many of the commentators believe that this poor man was a plant they didn't really want him there at this meal, but they just, they just grabbed somebody and just brought him into this meal as a bit of a plant to actually set Jesus up. Like, you know, what are you going to do here, Jesus? You know, you've got to do something here. Jesus couldn't resist. Of course he was going to do something for this poor man who's brought in, in front of him. Jesus didn't let them down. But before he goes there, Jesus says this in verse 3. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? There's no answer to Jesus from the Pharisees, the religious rulers, all gathered around for this feast. There's just deafening silence. Well, they couldn't answer. You see, if they say no, no, it's not lawful, then you heartless, legalistic, self-righteous people, this poor man here, they couldn't say no. And they couldn't say yes. Because according to their definition of the Sabbath, you don't do healings on the Sabbath. You tell them to come back the next day and we'll think about healing you then. We let you suffer another day. They, didn't, they couldn't say yes or no. So what does Jesus do? He does the right thing. He mercifully heals this poor man of dropsy right there and then. He's fully restored to full health. And then Jesus goes on into verse 5 to actually further expose what they're thinking in their minds as this is happening. He says this to them in verse 5. 
Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, so we're talking the Sabbath again, will not immediately pull him out? So what are you guys going to do if your son falls down a well? Are you going to leave him there and say, look, I'll come back and get you tomorrow? Of course you're not going to do that. Jesus is beginning to expose their heart, expose their attitude here in what's happening. And again, in verse 6, what do we see with the Pharisees and the religious people? Stunned silence. They couldn't answer him because they knew what the truth was. See, the religious people had no care for this suffering man of dropsy at this particular situation. For he, he was just a pawn in their game of chess to try and checkmate Jesus. They had no care or concern for him. They were just going to use him up and leave him in his suffering. So what was Jesus exposing here with these guys as they were trying to set this situation up? It's a critical. It's a legalistic. It's a self-righteous spirit or heart here as they just try to achieve their own evil ends. But it goes further with Jesus as well with these religious people. As this feast continues on, and the guests move into place now, this man's been healed, and they begin to take their places here around the table. Jesus notices something here about what they're doing as they find their seats. Everybody's going for the best seats at the table. And he says this here in verse 7. Now we told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honour, Jesus was observing here what was taking place. Even after this healing of this man with dropsy, everybody's racing for the front row seats. That's the seats they want. Up the front where the action is. They want the place of honours where other people will look at me and think how special I am because I'm in this seat. They're like the ones who want the front table at the wedding reception, you know, close to the action. Not the table stuck right down the back in the far corners of the reception venue. They want to be right where it's all happening. They've raced for that spot. They want the seats that come with all the fringe benefits because that's what I deserve. That's what they're thinking these religious Pharisees are. So not only are these guys critical, legalistic, self-righteous, but Jesus is also exposing them here to have a spirit of pride as well because they want this prominent position here at this banquet. There's an attitude there of, as it were, drawing attention to themselves. They want to be noticed. They want to be seen. It's a bit like, look how religious I am. Look how good I am at the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath day principles, the law in their own definition. It's about my achievements, about what I've done. It's about look at me, because they want this place of honour, this seat of honour. Now, here's what happens when people start to think that way or develop this sort of critical heart or this prideful heart. When somebody's growing in this pride of performance and my life of goodness, it's amazing how quickly they become critical and judgmental towards others. It's amazing how it just follows like hand in glove, just follows straight on. You see, a proud, uh, uh, sorry, a proud critical self-righteous heart is always comparing ourselves to others, comparing us to others. And the others that we compare ourselves never get anywhere near as good as what we are. They're just not as good as us because we're looking down upon them uh, from our prideful position, our critical position. We just blow them away every time in our estimation. They're nothing like us at keeping the Sabbath day. 
And the critical self-righteous heart also majors on the minors and makes mountains out of molehills. It's like they pick these tiny little things to make a big battle out of it, again, to elevate their position. They may listen to somebody talking, be part of a conversation, and they'll pick out one small incidental sort of thought, which is only really a secondary issue to the whole conversation. They'll pick out this one thought, and all of a sudden they'll go to town on that. Their pride begins to latch onto this one small insignificant thought, and they'll even try and make World War III out of it. It'll become like a storm in a teacup. Because the criticism just grabs this one little thing and they've got to make something out of it to make themselves look good in that situation. That's what it does. What are they doing when they do this? What they're really saying is, I know better than you. You need to look up to me. You need to see what, how I'm dealing with these things. You need to see the way I approach these things. They're drawing attention to themselves because I've got a handle on all this and you haven't. What's it like being around people who are critical, legalistic and prideful? What's it like being around people like that? It's not pretty, is it? Actually, we don't want to be around proud people like that. There's something that sort of um, repels us away. Depending on how far down the track they are with their criticism and their pride, sometimes we can dread actually seeing these people. No, we may have to work with them or whatever. We're actually just, it's not enjoyable when people are like that. I mean, who wants to be of somebody who's always got something critical to say or they're always elevating themselves before us? There's just something that just repels us away from them. You see, pride. Pride is the root cause of all our problems. It underlies everything that takes place in our life for the Pharisees back then and for us today. Something within us wants to elevate ourselves. Pride within us causes us to want to, to look in towards us as the centre of our world. That it's all about me and this world revolves around me to some extent. It's amazing how it hides in our heart like that. And pride then takes our focus of God as our creator and our life giver and sustainer. Pride takes our eyes off that and puts it onto ourselves. And when that happens, it's deadly. Absolutely deadly. When we don't see the one who's given us life and live according to his ways, we begin to become so inwardly focused that we actually crumple up on the inside. Jesus has just exposed this here with these guys. Critical towards him setting him up in a judgmental way and then just elevating themselves in pride. So what do we do? How do we combat here this critical and prideful heart? Well, Jesus helps them and he helps us today as he follows on in this passage. He actually goes on to another parable which we read before in verses 8 to 10. And let me just paraphrase that for us now. He's saying this, when you go to a wedding... When you go to a wedding, don't head for the bride's family table. Right up the front where all the action is, if you're not part of that family, that is. Don't head for that table because probably Rob, the MC, will come along and say, look, that's not really your table. You need to actually take that other spot right down the back of the reception venue. That's going to be embarrassing, isn't it, if you've sat there and thinking, I'm going to get right here amongst the action. You want to watch that shoe game later on, that the bride and the groom hold up the shoe and they tell their whatever they do, bad luck. Instead, Jesus says, take your appointed seat. Go sit somewhere where you're supposed to be. 
And who knows? One of the bride's family may not turn up and then Rob might come along and say, hey, you can now come and sit on the, that table. And that'll feel great then. But firstly, he says, take the seat where you're supposed to sit. Don't go look for, looking for the seat of honour here in this situation. That's the parable that Jesus tells. And it's here in verse 11 that is the key of what Jesus is saying in this parable. He says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the key point that Jesus is making here in this situation. If we humble ourselves, which is difficult, we will be exalted. We will be lifted up. This is Bible 101. If you want to know something about God, he dwells with the humble. He dwells with the the lowly and the humble. This has always been the way God works in his world with people. He doesn't look for the proud the bold, the beautiful. He looks for the humble. Have a look here with me in Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen, which tells us just that. For thus says the one, this is God, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Where does he dwell? He dwells in the high and holy place. And where else does he dwell? And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He lives in the high and holy place because he's a holy God, but he also dwells and lives with the humble and the contrite of heart. God dwells with the humble, those who walk humbly before him. Why is that? Because the humble understand who they are before God. The humble understand they are nothing but dust and ashes before an omnipotent or powerful God. That's all we are. The humble know that every moment of their life is in the hands of God. The humble know that everything we receive in life is a gift from God. The humble also know that any talent or ability that I might have is purely a generous act of God towards me. The humble also say this, There go I, but by the grace of God, when they avoid trouble. The humble know it's God who keeps them from trouble. The humble say this. The humble say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And the humble make sure their life reflects that as well. It's not just cheap words, it's a life that reflects exactly as they said. The humble aren't seeking to draw attention to themselves, Not at all. The humble are seeking to draw people to Jesus and not themselves. You see, if we've got a heart that's suffering with pride and criticism, Jesus says, you need to be humbled. You need to understand who you really are and who God really is. You need to come down from your self-made pedestal here, as it were, and walk in humility before Jesus. You need to come down, not go up. And then Jesus will lift you up. Not only humble and humility as an antidote for pride, but so also is kindness here as well that Jesus is talking about. Have a look at what he says there next in verse 12. He says this, When you throw a party, don't invite your family and friends. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? 
Because we all know full well when we invite family and friends, what happens then? Well, we get like a reciprocal return invitation, don't we? You know, I'll come to your party, you go to my party sort of thing. Let's clarify what Jesus is saying here. Let's not get him confused. He's not saying we're not allowed to invite family around. That's not what Jesus is saying in this sense of understanding what he's saying. What Jesus is saying here is don't limit your guest list to family and friends only. Don't just think about perhaps the nice people that you can invite to your place for a meal or, or to a party. Actually expand your guest list. Have a look what he says in verse 13 and 14 to help clarify that for us. But when you give a feast, have a party, have a barbecue out the back lawn, particularly when it's in summer, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Who's he saying? Invite those who possibly can't invite you back. You think about the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, they had nothing in the society that day. They were the marginal people living as outcasts. They couldn't possibly invite you back to their place because a lot of them had no place to live, let alone provide food for you. They couldn't do that. So what's Jesus saying here? He's actually saying, show kindness. Show kindness to the marginalised, to the least. Just be genuinely kind without looking for anything like you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Just be kind. Just be kind, Jesus says. Just show genuine love from a humble heart to the least and the lowly. And Jesus says you'll be blessed in doing so. Blessed in doing so. How does this kind heart work? Uh, A kind heart works like this. It doesn't look to ourselves. A kind heart looks out. It looks out to others. And when we focus on genuine kindness towards others, it actually begins to help break down a prideful or critical heart developing within us. Instead of focusing on us, we actually focus out with kindness towards others. And that changes our whole perspective and focus in life. We begin to look out and we see others and it's not all about ourselves. A humble and kind heart is able to appreciate others and the challenges that they are in and then begin to enter into their world, as it were, to invite them into our world to show genuine love and care for them, seeking nothing in return other than just wanting to be genuinely kind with them. And Jesus says we'll be blessed. He does mention there the resurrection of the just, but also we'll be blessed there and then as we do that because the word also tells us that it's more blessed to give than what it is to receive. You give a blessing of kindness and you will be blessed by God in actually carrying out that act of kindness Hospitality has got to be one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate kindness with other people. It's the powerful thing to actually get, gather around some food and having people over for a meal and just sharing life together. We certainly encourage that here at Exchange to have a meal because it's a great time to have conversation and discussion. Now, we had a family over back uh, two or three months ago and we had a meal. I've had family since then as well, just let you know. <laughs> But we actually got chatting and talking and I think it was about half past 12, quarter to one in the morning by the time we finished talking. We didn't realise with the time we'd gone to. It just demonstrates how well you can actually fellowship over a meal. Just the conversation goes on. It's just a great place to do kindness, to meet people. And the food isn't the main deal. Don't get hung up on hospitality and showing kindness thinking I've got to put on some sort of silver service. 
It's okay to do it well, but don't think that's the main thing. The main thing is actually having people around and sharing life together. If you just want to do hot dogs and coffee like Randy Elkhorn did, great. Then just great, have great fellowship in kindness after that. It's actually carrying that out. That's the, that's the cool thing we want to do there in hospitality. So where does this humility and this kindness start as we think about these critical, legalistic, proud, self-righteous Pharisees, but also easily creeps into our own heart as well? Where does it start? Well, it's got to start by seeing humility and kindness demonstrated for us, seeing it modelled, pictured, shown. It starts by receiving a new heart that actually doesn't look within but looks out to serve others. It starts by seeing who Jesus Christ is. It starts by seeing his humility and his kindness towards us. Have a look here in Philippians 2 3, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus that Paul gives for us. He says this Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That takes your breath away a bit, doesn't it? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just look to yourself, look to others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, if the gospel's dwelling in your heart. Have this mind... Among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. He became us, emptied himself of his glory in heaven and became confined to a human body. We're talking Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what you need to see. That's what I need to see. Not just once, regularly, regularly demonstrated in my heart and life and that helps me to actually be drawn down that same path because of the gospel dwelling in me through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only one who can give us that heart. He's the only one who can renew us to live like this, to count others as more significant than ourselves. And live out this kindness. Because he sets us free from ourselves to gladly live this way. In humility and kindness towards others. Let's just stop there and let me say this. Gospel humility and kindness is critically important in the world we live in today. I can't underestimate how important it is. The world we live in, particularly over the last 10 to 20 years... It is rapidly changing, particularly on a Christian perspective. It is rapidly changing. We actually live now in what we call a post-Christian world. If you went back a generation or so, probably at the start of my life, um, it was probably still a Christian culture, Christian society back in the 60s. It was probably like, and probably still into the 70s a bit as well. But particularly over the last 20 years, maybe a bit more, it is just changing rapidly. Our culture and our society as a post-Christian culture don't see Christian values or principles or attitudes as the norm or the right way to live any longer. 
30, 40 years ago they would have, but not today. Very quickly, gospel truth is squeezed out and it's pushed to the side. It's seen as old-fashioned, it's out of date to live like that. The culture's moved on from that now. We've actually progressed. We've moved on to a new way of living. We've progressed as a society. And we don't want to be sort of be limited in our human expression by, you know, Christian morals or Christian principles. You're not going to sort of crush us or clamp us down. We'll live however we want to live. We are free to be whoever we want to be. And we're not going to be restricted by anybody who tells us, no, this is the way we should live according to God's law. Christian views on marriage, sexual morality and sanctitive life, as Randy Elkhorn spoke to us there before, to name a few, much of it, the culture today sees us as living in the dark ages when we, with the way we think about that from a Christian perspective. We don't think that way any longer. Now, I'm not worried about that, the way the world's moved on. I think it's really sad. I think it's detrimental, obviously, for society and culture we live in, but I'm not worried about it because I believe it'll only serve to make the gospel burn brighter in a darker world. But having said that, in an increasingly hostile culture towards Jesus and his people, we must, every person who calls himself a believer, follows Jesus, we must, more than ever, use all the grace that the Holy Spirit will give us to live a life of humility and kindness amongst this society where we are today. It's paramount that we actually are asking that to take place. More than ever, as we live out the gospel, practically, we must be asking God's grace to help us to do this with humility and kindness in the face of this growing opposition within our community. Why? Because humility is a great way to break down prejudice, to break down some of those walls that get built up by people as they look on to us. Sometimes the world looks on and thinks differently the way Christians are and they form their own views about us and they're not always the greatest views. But humility shown by us, followers of Jesus, can actually begin to take down bricks out of those walls they build up of prejudice in front of us. And it must be in such a way that we're not living in arrogant pride about who we are. Arrogance about being believers in Jesus. Having said that, we are proud to follow Jesus. We don't ever back away from that and we won't deny anything that Jesus says. We won't deny him in any place. And our gospel convictions are firm. We're not going to waver from what God says in his word. We won't compromise on truth. But we will not be arrogant about who we are. We'll be humble. Still standing for the truth and building our convictions there. It's the same with gospel kindness as well. It's amazingly powerful the way the Holy Spirit takes that and uses kindness to break down these barriers. Look in Romans chapter 12 here what Paul says. A long passage, and he ends here in verse 20, he says this, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. A little bit like what Randy Elkhorn did with these protesters. We go and feed them. We clothe them. We do kind things for them. And that'll, that'll heap burning coals on the head. Now, not, we've got to understand what Paul's saying there. It's not saying, okay, now let's burn them with hot coals. They'll be confounded in their mind thinking, why am I disliking these people when they continue to love me and do kind things for me? 
that'll just mess with their head. But that's what gospel kindness does. It actually serves this really difficult world to break that down. Not to be arrogant, not to be proud, but to be humble and kind. And it'll be amazed at how kindness will actually open up doors of opportunity for the gospel to come in. Because ultimately we want to see all these people rescued and saved from their self-righteous ways or their arrogant ways or their prideful ways. This is the salvation that Luke is writing about. Jesus, salvation for all. Just bow your heads and close your eyes now as we just uh, wrap this up. I don't know where you're at today. With every head bowed and eye closed, maybe you're thinking, yeah, I think that's me. Critical. Self-righteous. I just haven't been kind. Maybe now you're just thinking of that and these instances come into your mind. When we live like that, it has massive detriment to our relationship with Jesus. We have unchecked sinfulness going on in our lives. It cuts into our relationship with Christ. We don't have that same peace or joy. If that's you today and you want to make a stand on that, I want you to just raise your hand now if that's you. If you're saying, yeah, actually, I've been living like that. Just put your hand up and then put it back down again. Praise the Lord, some hands going up. Father, thank you. I think today we can come to Luke 14 and we can see again, Lord, how your word penetrates our hearts, exposes us, Lord. But like any good surgeon, the cutting is initially required so the healing can come in. Lord, we know today that your grace is your healing. That as we come today, Lord, we can sit here and think of the times where we've been critical or proud, or self-righteous, or unkind. Father, we thank you that you continue to persevere with us, to forgive us, but you continue to give us the grace, Lord, to be able to get up and to go again. God, we thank you for the work of your Spirit, working that in our hearts now, and I pray for those, Lord, who've just just felt, yeah, that's just been a part of my life that I just want to bring before the Lord again right now. God, I pray, just let that uh, flood of healing peace just flowing into their hearts right now. Such a gracious, loving God restores us and picks us up. Lord, help us. Please help us to put into place uh, humility and kindness. Help every single person here. Lord, every single person that's committed and connected to Exchange Church, I pray, Lord, to be people known for their humility and for their kindness. And Lord, we pray that you would use that to open up gospel opportunities well, we could tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. We could tell people about the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. We could tell people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we too will rise with him and live eternally. That that would come, Lord, out of humility and out of kindness. 
God, we desire, we seek to do this today to glorify Jesus Christ who ultimately showed that humility and kindness towards us, undeserving and unworthy of it. Let that be our model. Let that be our driver today. Let us be committed this week, Lord, to be thinking on how can I be kind to somebody, genuinely, for the least, for the lowly. God, we thank you that you will do that in our lives now. We pray that you are honoured and glorified in and through all of that. Lord, we ask that now. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.